Hey, you're listening to The Hook Rocks with Jay Scott. This is Martin Thomas Reed from the NTR Project. I hope you guys have a sick day. Let's do that again. Nobody's going to get sick today. I forgot about right. COVID. <laughs> One more time. Don't get sick. Welcome back. It is another episode of The Hook Rocks, and I am your host, Jay Scott. Appreciate you tuning in. Appreciate you listening. Always appreciate the feedback. So if you get a chance at the end of this episode, write us a review, no matter what platform you're on. Tell us what do you think of this episode and tell us what you think of The Hook Rocks in general. Also, don't forget, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great network of music-related podcasts. Something for all fans of different genres or all genres and fans of those genres. We've got my friends that I always mention, like Tom and Zeus on the Shout Out Loudcast. We've got Mistress Carrie in Boston, Martin Popoff, the rock historian, Mac, the Florida transport, who now does the Ugly American Werewolf and Podcast. I love that podcast. Love that show. Uh, check out Decibel Geek as well. And Carmen DePeace and Vinny Apice on the Hanging and Banging Podcast with Ron and Esty, the local Chicago promoter. Don't forget to follow The Hook Rocks wherever you podcast, whether it's Spotify, Amazon, or Apple. We're available on all platforms. Check out our Instagram page. It's really growing. It's really uh, uh, been exciting to see that. Finally, Dipping my toe in the Instagram water, and I'm really enjoying it. So follow that at The Hook Rocks, as well as Facebook and Twitter. You get up-to-date information on all the episodes that are coming up and that I've posted. So please follow us on all those social media apps as well. Don't forget to set your app to automatic download with whatever podcast app that you have. So you get the latest episode right to your phone, and you can enjoy it on your commute or when you're doing yard work this summer. Uh, we can be your soundtrack to the summer of 2022. We've had some great episodes along the way over these past few months. We had Mark Tremonti talking about his album, Mark Tremonti Sings Frank Sinatra, a great inspiring story behind that. Joe Satriani talking about his new album, as well as many new music spotlights in the month of May. We did four, as we do every month. We did Band Inc., Fast Eddie, uh, Stone Broken, and... Native Sons, great band from Kentucky. So check that out as well. And of course, our music commentary episodes are great. We just did a review of Creatures Fest. 
the KISS Festival in Nashville, Tennessee over Memorial Day weekend, where we talk about Ace Freely, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulik, and many others, Peter Chris as well. Uh, great festival. We give a big wrap up and tell you what the highlights were, the lowlights, and everything in between. So please check that out. And also, don't forget our quarterly episode that ranks the albums from the first quarter, January through March. We're going to be doing the second quarter pretty soon here in a few weeks as the second quarter ends. And don't forget the live album review with the Recividus, Rob in the Hood, where we take on the legacy and the influence Kiss Alive had on the music industry in the mid-70s. So please enjoy all those episodes. We've got another fantastic episode for you tonight. Uh, it is a repeat offender, a repeat guest, one of my favorite guests and one of your favorite guests, because every time he's on, people love it. They give great feedback. And that is Rob at Skylab Tapes. You can find him on Twitter at Skylab Tapes. And what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, hey, Jay. How are you, man? I'm doing well. Doing well. Thank you for doing these episodes once again. We try to get you on once a quarter. We've been successful with doing that. And everybody loves the topics. Everybody loves the conversations that are geared towards audio, how to improve your system, how to build your system. Great, you know, headphones or earplugs or whatever the case is. Um, always a joy to have you on. Well, it is always a pleasure, and I'm uh, I'm psyched about this episode because we're going to talk about uh, sound in the room and you know how to how to get the most out of that in your house, uh, and extending that over to how to get the most out of that when you go to uh, when you go to the concert hall. Um, you know, it's a, it, it's an interesting thing. I think it's a it's a lot more complicated topic than a lot of people probably think. So. Uh, I'll do my best to uh, to keep it relatively simple. Although you know I'm a geek at heart, so sometimes uh, sometimes that's tough for me. But we'll uh, we'll do what we can. <laughs> Absolutely, you know we always go to those shows where the sound is muffled because of what the, how the room is laid out. Uh, yeah. We have rooms in our house that sound better than other rooms. And we're going to get into why that is, the position of your speakers, what a loudspeaker is. And how to compensate for when you are in a situation where maybe the acoustics are not that good to help you enjoy the uh, the moment more. So glad to have you on. Glad to have you talk about this. Well, I appreciate it. So I think it's helpful to start with just a little bit of a refresher about how sound works, right? So uh, and you know we've talked I've talked on the uh, on your show a couple of other times and joked that sound is math and sound kind of is math and it's actually worse than that. It's physics. Um, so, uh, and, you know, we take for granted our hearing, right? And the fact that, you know, it, it, what really is an incredibly complicated system, most of the time works so perfectly. Um, but, you know, without really thinking about, you know, what creates the sound that we all hear. So, uh, you know, and most people are familiar with the concept of a sound wave, but they don't really know, you know, what the wave is, right? So, you know, sound is actually a wave of moving air models. That's uh, that's what creates sound. Your ear in, and brain are just sophisticated enough that they can uh, have these waves of air molecules hitting it uh, and actually convert that into the sound, sometimes incredibly complex sound that uh, you know that we all hear and again uh, you know take for granted. Um, but the the fact that it is wave with these waves of air molecules mean that it's 
pretty impacted by the stuff around it, right? So, uh, you know, the, the sound in one room is going to be very different than the sound in another room, as you just pointed out. Um, and the sound in uh, one part of the room is going to be very different. And for a couple of different reasons, sound waves, first of all, especially the shorter ones, we'll talk about why some are shorter and longer here in a second, uh, they, they bounce. <laughs> and so they'll bounce off walls, they'll bounce off floors. Um, and once they start bouncing around the room, they end up forming this very complex interaction with each other. Um, where they will cancel out in some areas. Uh, they will actually um, multiply in other areas. So that, you know, while you'd like to think that you can get a very smooth sound from, you know, even very expensive loudspeakers or a very expensive PA uh, in a concert hall, um, a lot has to go into that to really, you know, to really make that true. Um, this is one of the reasons that I always tell people, and I'll go into people's houses sometimes and just be sort of horrified by where they have their speakers. The most important thing at home to get good sound out of uh, any stereo that you're using is to have the speakers, you know, kind of directly in front of you and not in any kind of cabinet or in some sort of weird location where they're not facing where you're normally going to be sitting. Um, you know, even if it's, you know, I'm really crazy with this sort of thing. And I like to sit right in between the speakers with them pointing directly at me facing, you know, and, and the three of us are in a triangle, right? Not everybody's willing to go to quite that length, but the clearer view you have the speakers in your room that you're listening to, the better off you'll be just as, as kind of a, as kind of a beginning. Um, there, there again, the, the, the high frequencies, right? So treble, right? Symbols, uh, triangle, uh, you know, very, very, very high pitched voices on occasion. All of that high frequency stuff in music, um, the, wave, the wavelength is very, very short. And so if you get a direct line of sight to a speaker, you're really not getting a lot of, uh, of interference from the room. Um, bass, on the other hand, is really, really complicated. The wavelengths are very long. Uh, and in fact, you know, the, the low bass note on a guitar, that wavelength is over 20 feet. <laughs> so, um, you, know, it's a, it, you know, it's a very, very complex wave. And those waves are the ones that will most interact uh, with each other in a room. So even if you've got a great line of sight to your speakers, that really doesn't have any impact on bass. Um, and where a speaker will sound the best for much of the frequency range, the treble and the mid-range, and again, that's kind of how sound is usually divided in a, in a simple way, treble, mid-range, and bass. Um, the, it, it, you can get terrible bass interactions, even if the rest of it is perfect. One of the things that people often do about that, of course, in their homes is they'll use a subwoofer. Um, and in that case, you're separating out the bass from the rest of the frequency range to an extent. And if you can put a subwoofer in the corner of a room, uh, it's the most beneficial for the sound overall. It's actually a pretty bad place to put a regular full range speaker uh, for all of the rest of the sound. But having the subwoofer in your, uh, in your house in the corner um, excites the room evenly, uh, as, uh, as the saying goes, so that you get the most, uh, you get the most even bass response. And that's, that is probably the simplest thing. So a lot of people will say, well, you know, this is where I have my speakers and I like them, but I'm sitting on my couch and I don't get any bass. 
And the answer is, is often, the solution to that is often to get a subwoofer, but not so much because you just plain old needed more bass, um, but you needed the bass to be in a different spot in the room. Um, so, uh, you know, that, uh, that is, uh, that's a frequent, and it doesn't have to be the world's greatest subwoofer. Even. It, you know, most halfway competent subwoofers will add an incredible amount of, uh, of, uh, of bass and you end up not turning it up even all the way. So in a domestic setting in your house, if you can sit with a clear line of sight to your speakers, um, have them out in the room a little bit. Um, and then ideally uh, use a subwoofer in the corner. That's sort of the that's sort of the best typical setup that you can get domestically. Um, when you talk other- when you talk about that, when you because yep. I'm picturing it in my head because most people equate the subwoofer with that car next to you in traffic that <laughs> you know that that yeah. ends up shaking your car and shaking the car and it's like man like just because it's overload of bass. But you know what we call those Jay a what? fart cannon. <laughs> fart cannon that's good that's good i'm going to use that um but you, you, when you're talking about the subwoofer in the corner are you talking about a square room rectangular room i mean does furniture placement have a lot to do with that as well of where the sound how the sound is bouncing off things it, to- it totally does. So, yeah. So in a, in a square or rectangular room, that's where, you know, having a subwoofer in a corner is probably the most benefit. And, and you, I mean, you raise a great point. What, what you're not after here, and in fact, what the subwoofer in the corner is really trying to get away from, is that kind of one note bass thump that you get, you know, in those car subwoofers that are, I mean, those are legitimately tuned to do exactly that. They're really, they're really more about what the people walking around here, <laughs> the person in the car actually hears, right? Because um, there's nothing really good about the way that sounds. Um, but, but then, you know, a, a high quality audio subwoofer is a very different thing, right? The frequency response of the subwoofer is much more even. And that's really the point of it is just to add some low bass reinforcement. Uh, the, you know, one of the one of the rules of thumb about integrating a subwoofer into a home stereo is that if you can really hear the subwoofer, you've got it turned up. You've got it turned up too loud, right? The point is for it not to be really, you know, noticeable in and of itself or stick out, but just make the sound a lot fuller. But then your other question about furniture and all that is that it is definitely a big deal, also. So the worst possible sound you can ever get most of the time is in a completely empty room. Right, because the higher frequencies will bounce off the walls. You get a lot of nasty reflections. You know, the room has an echoey sound, even if you just like clap or talk, right? Um, and that's not good for the way that uh, you know for the way uh, that a stereo is going to sound or a concert hall PA. Um, so the more things that you can put in a room uh, that kind of dampen those reflections, the better. Um, big. Stuffed furniture is good. Couches are good. Ottomans are good. Carpets are really good, right? Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's funny. My, you know, a lot of people love hardwood floors or you know, pile in the kitchen or whatever. That's all great. Um, every room in my house is hardwood floor, except for the family room where the stereo is, <laughs> because there's no way that I would want that to be hardwood. So even though it is actually hardwood underneath, uh, you know, I have a really thick carpet and carpet padding over, you know, 90% of the floor uh, because it makes an enormous difference in the way that things sound. So, you know, there again, if you're, you know, if you're kind of, well, I could put my 
a stereo in this room or I can put it in that room. If you've got a room with carpeting, it's going to be a better place for it for sure. Now, when you put that subwoofer in a corner, um, does it matter what's next to it, what's above it, what's around it to get that, to get that frequency out? Yeah, not particularly. Uh, you know, I mean, mine is, you know, the, the one I have is, is in the very far corner of the room. Um, and, you know, the only, the only, the only real no-no, uh, for a subwoofer. And I've seen this a couple of times. I couldn't believe it wasn't causing huge problems is it, you can't put it next to or really even near a turntable. Um, because turntables will actually get an acoustic feedback loop from a strong subwoofer. I mean, remembering that, you know, a turntable is just a little needle moving around that creates the sound, right? So, you know, if you shake that thing with the subwoofer, you got problems. Um, so, you know, but aside from that, as long as you keep the subwoofer, you know, in a corner that's well away from where the, you know, if you have a turntable, turntable is, there really isn't, uh, there really isn't any other. I, I always encourage people also to experiment. I mean, it may be that it'll be a little better in one corner of the room than another. Um, I, I sort of psychologically like to have it in the front corner, um, but there isn't, you know, there isn't any necessarily any super big advantage to that. I mean, it could be, it could be behind you if that's the most convenient place to put it. The other interesting thing is, you know, a lot of people had uh, put in subwoofers because they put home theater systems in that had subwoofers. And what I've also seen sometimes is that whoever set up the stereo, whether it was them or somebody else, configured it so that when they're listening to music, the subwoofers are off, which is why I never understood that. Um, it's, it's, uh, I don't like to listen to regular stereo music in kind of phony surround sound, right? It's some synthesized surround sound mode, but you can still configure it all 100% of the time to be just two stereo speakers plus a sub. Uh, you know, if you're using a 5.1 uh, home theater system to play back music anyway. So, uh, so that's another that's another subwoofer thing to consider if you've already got one for that uh, for that purpose. But those, you know, those are really some of the big considerations, right? So, speaker placement again in front of you. Ideally, speaker placement is a uh, what do they call that an equilateral triangle. Speakers are themselves at the same distance as each of them are from you, right? In a in a listening triangle, and you're sitting in the middle with a clear line of sight to either of them. And then, if you can, a subwoofer uh, a subwoofer in the room. And you know, I mean, you can get in, in most rooms with that kind of a configuration, you can get really, really even sound quality. You know, one thing that some that some people uh, have noticed is if you own a really good pair of headphones. Right, not earbuds. And we've talked about headphones on the show before. Um, you know, headphones are completely free from that kind of issue, right? Especially closed back headphones. So, uh, you know, I will uh, uh, I will occasionally listen to something with you know when I'm moving speakers around, and I'll listen to something in headphones to make sure I have a, a feel for what it's like without any kind of room interaction at all, right? Just to just to uh, you know to get a baseline. And then, you know, start to move the speakers around a little bit. When I got, you've seen the speakers in my, uh, you know, in my main stereo that I've had for 20 years. And they're gigantic and very heavy. When I first got them, um, I fussed with the location of those speakers for six months. Um, and for the last two months, I was moving them a half inch at a time <laughs> to try to really dial in, you know, the exact right place for them. 
Now, not everybody has to go to that kind of crazy length to get the best sound, but it's just an illustration of how much small movements and where the speaker are in the room can actually make a difference. Now, does it matter if it's horizontal, vertical, on an, you know, propping the speaker up on like an angle so it kind of kind of shoots up? Does that all matter or is it just, you know, leave it the way it was designed to be? Well, so certainly the latter is the, is the thing, right? Um, a, a competent speaker designer definitely had an orientation for the speaker in mind. Um, and so you might get good sound by happy accident if you use it in a way in which it wasn't intended. Um, but a typical speaker where there's a tweeter on top and then a you know, mid-range uh, or you know, just a bass mid-range combined driver below that, that is the way that it wants to be used. Right. And, you know, while I certainly have seen some of those stands that angle them back, um, you know, typically if the speaker wasn't designed to be used with a stand like that, it's, it's not the, you know, it's probably not the best thing to do. It may not make a difference. Um, there were, you know, there was a, there was a period in the, in the eighties where this concept of time aligning the drivers came into, uh, uh, came into vogue and people were actually making speakers where the front baffle was angled. <laughs> and the rest of the speaker was, was normal. And there are still some speakers like that. Um, but that, you know, without getting into a really complex discussion about crossover design, there, you know, there are other ways to deal with that aside from tipping your speakers backward. Um, and most people typically, most speaker designers typically deal with those issues that way. So, I, you know, I do think that some speakers that are smaller are designed to be used on stands of some sort. And it is better to use them that way. Right, I mean, there. You know, you don't want a really small speaker on the floor. Um, that's you're not going to get. You're not going to get great sound out of that. Um, there are a few speakers that are very specifically designed to be used in a bookshelf. Although, unfortunately, their bookshelf speaker kind of became a generic term uh, for just smaller speaker. Um, and there's a lot of smaller speakers that are not designed to be used in a bookshelf. They're just called that because they're small. So, uh, you know, again, typically, if you've got the speakers out in the room a little bit and you can make them in that triangle um, as best you can, that's going to be that's going to provide the most ideal sound. Now, I realize there are also plenty of people who are going to say, well, my speakers are going on a bookshelf no matter what anybody tells me, because that's just the way that I need it or my significant other wants it or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, in that case. Um, as, you know, as long as you can get them pointed at you kind of on the same uh, uh, vertical and horizontal plane that you are and, and you can at least see them clearly and they're about equal distance from you, you know, you're probably okay for the most part uh, in, in getting decent sound that way. Now, as far as acoustics goes, right? Not every room is built the same. Not every system is built the same. We can talk about your personal stereo system that you have in your house versus what you see at a show. Like we began this conversation with that thought of this sounds muffled. You know, what can you do to correct those things either in your personal space or at a venue that is having trouble with whether it's the mix or whether it's just distinguishing between the instruments or whether it's just generally sounding good. Yeah, so let's get to let's cover the you know, sound in a concert hall in a second, and we'll finish up on on the idea of sound in your house. So if, if you're 
you know, if you have, if you, if you feel like you've got pretty decent speakers and you, you, you feel like they should sound better than they do, um, which is true for, you know, I think a lot, a lot of people, some experimentation is the, you know, is really the key to getting good sound, right? They, again, they will sound really different in different places in the room. So, uh, you know, moving them, you know, moving them around, you know, they're, if you're, again, willing and able to do this, um, some people will actually change the orientation of like where the couch is uh, versus the, you know, versus uh, the, the long wall of the short wall of a rectangular room. I like to have the couch along the long wall, um, but I have enough room in my, uh, in, in my family, fortunately, to make that work. Um, uh, you know, a lot, uh, typically people also want to have speakers on either side of a television a lot of times, you know, when they are watching movies or maybe music videos or something like that. And I think generally that's a, you know, that's a good idea. Um, but that can mean, you know, some additional restrictions on where the speakers are. If they, again, if the sound is bad, there are, you know, even small amounts of moving speakers around, or if the speakers have to be in a certain place and they can't be moved. The other great trick is try moving the couch. <laughs> move the couch forward in the room. Move it backward in the room. Um, one, uh, one thing to definitely consider, and we'll get into this a little bit more when we talk about concert hall sound. If you, uh, if you can't have a subwoofer and you feel like you don't have enough space, moving the couch toward the back wall of the room will result in having more bass sound uh, where you're in your listening position. Right. If you if you if you're ever sitting there going, wow, I don't you know, you stand maybe you're standing somewhere and go, wow, where did the pace go? Go to the back of the room, uh, to the far end of the wall on the other side from where the speakers are and listen, it's gonna sound completely different and it'll have more bass. Um, so you know, they're uh, you know, moving moving the furniture around in the event that you don't want to move or can't move the speakers around is another good way of trying to maximize it. But mostly it's experimenting, right? Just you know, following a few basic rules of trying to have the speakers in the clear and facing you and then, you know, moving things around to the extent that you're willing and able until you get a sound that you think sounds, uh, sounds the best. Um, so this is a good pivot point though, between the home and the concert hall, right? So all of those things that I just discussed in concert halls are problematic, right? So first of all, you can't possibly change the sat the location of the speakers in the concert hall. They are where they are. Right. Um, and you can't do anything about the room acoustics. Uh, they are also what they are. One interesting point about concert hall acoustics is, of course, they do change radically when the people are in the room. Right. So, uh, you know, and, and most of the time there, you know, the expectation is that the hall is kind of full of people. If you end up going to a show that for whatever reason is, is uh, not well attended, the sound can actually be worse. Right, because you get a lot more floor space. It's typically, you know, it's exclusively not carpeted. Um, so, uh, you know, that doesn't believe it or not. A, a fuller concert hall is usually better for the sound. Um, but there are some things that you can that you can do, uh, and that are a good idea uh, to do. You have two kinds of concerts, right? You and I have been to plenty of both. Of them. Mm -hmm. You have reserved seating and general admission. <laughs> So remember that the you know at the Mammoth uh, uh, Dirty Honey concert that we went to we were in we were sort of it's not a big hall right so we were kind of farther toward the back and I thought the sound actually was pretty good back there overall um, the uh, you know that is definitely a place in the room where uh, you're going to get more bass 
Uh, and, and that was, I did think, the case. Um, I've been in some concert halls where the bass was so strong in the back of the hall that it really kind of wrecked the overall sound. Um, uh, and the, the one venue that I've been at, it wasn't just being at the back, but, you know, there were, the back of the room was, uh, you know, was um, uh, angled up seating, right? Stadium type seating. And so at the very back, you were also up high. So you're sort of in the worst of all possible worlds. And, you know, that, that actually sounded terrible. The, if, you're, if you're going to a reserve seating show, a lot of people, you know, just reflexively buy the closest up tickets they could possibly get. <laughs> and if the thing that you want to get out of a concert is, you know, sort of seeing the faces of the players and, and seeing their expressions and watch them moving around, right? And, and that's more of a priority than what for you as a person, than what the mix is like or what the sound is like, then yeah, I mean, you know, buy the, buy the seats as close as you can possibly get it. Don't worry about it. But the best sound in almost every single concert hall is mid-hall, right? So, you know, it's the, the sound mix is typically going to be the most even. You know, you're not getting purely direct sound from gigantic speakers. You're getting a little bit of the hall mixed in, but you're not at the back of the hall where, you know, it, the sound is going to be muddier. So, you know, for, you know, for, some, um, for some venues uh, and for some bands, it's way better to sit closer to the middle and farther and a little farther back, right? Not to instantly go, oh, I want to be in row one, right? But, you know, if there's, if there's 30 rows, you know, I maybe want to be in row 12 or row 15. Um, and, you know, avid concert goers like you and, and me, um, you know, I, I make notes of those things to myself, right? You know, move around a little. And, and there, are, there are places where I will actually try to be in certain areas if I can, because I know that the sound is going to be better. And again, it sort of depends on who's playing um, uh, and, and, and what the venue is. You know, some of the, you know, some of the, long, like I went to an Alan Parsons project show not that long ago at the, at the uh, Genesee Theater in Waukegan. Um, and we were, you know, we were, I think, like 13th or 14th row. Um, in what again, it's not a huge theater, a beautiful theater, by the way. I've been there. Uh, yeah, it's great. Theater. I love it. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. Sounds great. Looks great. But it does sound good. And the sound there was perfect. Um, and it was the exact kind of thing, you know, that's an 11 piece band, right? <laughs> um, you know, it's the exact kind of, of place to be in a concert hall for, uh, you know, for that kind of music. So uh, that is a really, that is a really critical thing to do. If it's, if it's because once you've bought those tickets, right, you can't move. I mean, maybe if it's lightly attended, you can move around, but, um, but typically you're stuck with the seat that you got. Um, so if you think a little bit about, you know, before again, kind of reflexively just saying I'm buying this particular, you know, uh, as far front as I can get, you know, every, every venue has a diagram of the seating chart, right? Uh, when you're buying your tickets and, you know, as, if you can be as close sort of to the, to the middle, both front and back and side to side, you're probably going to be better off. Now, if you go to a GA show, like, uh, uh, you know, like we did at, uh, at, at that mammoth show, then you have the option to some extent um, of moving around to see what, uh, what sounds better. Um, and it's worth doing, right? I mean, there's no, there's no point in a GA show when you have uh, – the ability to roam the floor of standing there going, wow, you know, I'm being overwhelmed by base in this particular location and just sort of sucking it up and staying there. Try a different location. It will make a difference. 
right? If you move farther forward or farther back or from one side to the other, um, you know, depending on how the, uh, you know, how the sound guys mixed it, that will have an enormous difference on what the sound is like in the hall. Um, and again, given that you can't do anything about where the speakers are, the only thing you can do is control where you are. <laughs> when you have a show at a, at a hall, whether it's a theater or a small club, how much does, or how much is the impact on the acoustics, depending on how many people are on stage, how many instruments are being played? Yeah, you know, it's, a, it, it, it's an interesting question. It's it's really more about the it's really more about the PA, right? I mean, it it, it would make it makes an enormous difference how many uh, how many people and instruments are on the stage, uh, you know, if they weren't amplified, <laughs> right? But you know, certainly in all rock music, like we're you know like we're typically going to and talking about, you know, it, it, it's a hundred percent amplified instruments, right? So and vocals, I mean, everything is amplified. So um, so the, you know there. You know, the biggest issue is what, you know, the quality of the PA and where the PA is positioned and then where you are relative to that, to the speaker stacks. Um, and, 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 you know, that really, really determines a lot. I mean, the, the other thing, of course, that makes such a big difference is the, is the sound of the hall itself. Um, and, you know, some venues were built with enormous consideration to the acoustics of the hall. A great example of that in the Chicago area for us is the Auditorium Theater, which is legendary for having you know, been designed for perfect acoustics for performance back before they were being amplified, right? So when I mean, you put an orchestra, an unamplified orchestra in the Auditorium Theater, and it is supposed to sound acoustically perfect. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's one extreme. And there's a lot of good sounding venues in Chicago. Chicago Theater is also great sounding. Um, and then you go to some of the other venues that were, you know, that were designed maybe a little more recently or were really kind of designed more as, you know, some of the smaller ones were designed more as bars almost. And, you know, literally zero uh, uh, was, you know, or very near zero attention was paid to how the hall was going to sound, right? They just built the space, they built the stage, they hung speakers, and that was that. Um, so, it, you know, it does, it does vary widely. And, the, you know, there's... Uh, uh, you know, I've never let that stop me from going to a show that I wanted to see, obviously, because that's a, that's kind of a silly thing to do. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm always thrilled when a band I like seeing is playing at the Auditorium Theater. Uh, you know, you know, I'm a huge Porcupine Tree fan, and they're finally touring again for the first time as, as that band in 13 years. And they're from the UK, so I had no idea whether they were going to play. And when I saw they were playing the Auditorium, you know, I was super fired up. And you sounds amazing. As far as the layout of a of a venue, you think of the venues here in Chicago. How much does an incline of a general audience or reserved seating matter? How much does the ceiling height matter in terms of the design? How much does the you know the width of the venue? Does that all play into the types of acoustics that are that are oh, are going to be heard? Unquestionably, and and I mean all the way Jay down to the chairs, right? I mean, uh, you know the thing, you know, while while general admission shows do give you the advantage of being able to move around, the disadvantage, of course, is that GA venues are all just well, big giant floor, right? And nothing's worse than that, for you know, from a sound quality perspective. So uh, you know, the, if you think about 
if you think about a, a traditional theater style venue, right? Like a, like what used to be a fancy movie theater, um, uh, you know, that has chairs all over the floor, plush, not flat, like you said, kind of terraced. You know, the, all, every single one of those individual things is better for sound quality than a flat floor. Uh, you mentioned another big one, a, you know, a, the, you know, a ceiling that a higher ceiling is going to mean, generally speaking, you know, less problem for sound, um, and you know that that also can make a uh, that also can make a big difference. You know, another interesting phenomenon is that that, that at well, big big venues, right, like United Center or or Allstate uh, Arena here in Chicago, are you know the basketball gym, hockey rink kind of uh, kind of venues. Um, well, they are, you know, not necessarily the greatest sounding venues of all time because they can sound a little cavernous. Um, they, because of their sheer size, you tend to get more sound directly from the speaker stacks than you do from reflections, again, depending on where you're sitting. Um, uh, you know, it's still, the sound is still typically worse, you know, way far away. Um, but they're like the Allstate Arena is a good example. I and mean, that venue, typically the sound in that venue is remarkably good. Um, uh, and if you're not sitting too far away, it, it can be it can be a much it can be actually a much more even sound quality than you would get in a smaller bar. And you'd think sort of intuitively that it would be the opposite, right? That in a small venue you'd get better sound, and you can see better, <laughs> and you can sit closer. But that doesn't mean that the sound is going to be better. When you think of venues, is that why outdoor venues are always considered a better option? Because it has the ability to kind of be infinite, in, you know, of just where the sound goes? Yeah, they, you know, that's, a, that's also a, a very interesting topic in and of itself. Outdoor venues are a mixed bag. So, yeah, I mean, the, the thing that you get from an outdoor venue is, and again, depending on the venue, they may have sort of a halfway point, um, it, you know, is that you, you, you get less reflection, right? So, I mean, you don't have, you don't have walls on every side of you, uh, um, although typically, most, you know, the, a lot of the outdoor venues have some pavilion, so it's open in the back, uh, you know, but there's still, you know, roof and, uh, and a lot of them, there's still roof. And, uh, um, but you get some other issues there, right? Like, you know, if you're sitting far enough away from the speakers, a good strong wind can mess things up. Remember, you know, sound is moving air molecules and those are impacted by wind. So have you ever been in an outdoor venue and you're sitting on the lawn and you thought the sound sounded a little funny, almost like sort of phasey at times? And, you know, it wasn't, you know, like, you know, it would, it would sound great for a minute and then it wouldn't a couple minutes later. You know that's a big reason for that. So you know there, it uh, it's you know it's it's a trade off. Um, unfortunately, well, I think of the two venues. The... I think of the two venues here in Chicago. I think of well, the Chicago area. I think yeah. of the World Music Theater, which is now the Hollywood Casino Amphitheater, which yeah. is almost like a chamber of of sound. Like it it, it doesn't. It hits that pavilion and it keeps bouncing back and forth between the band and the, and it, and it, and it creates this massive echo. Um, but then I think of one of the greatest venues I've ever been to Alpine Valley in East Troy, Wisconsin, which is right over the border here in Illinois, about probably about 45 minutes to an hour from the city without traffic. Um, I think of the sound in that place was always remarkable. 
was always great. Yeah. And, I, you know, and, and it's funny because, as you point out, they are somewhat similar, generally speaking, right? I mean, they hold about the same number of people. They're both a pavilion plus a lawn, you know, and a big, you know, I think the, I think the pavilion may be bigger at, at, in, at Tinley Park uh, versus there's more people on the lawn at Alpine Valley, and that might contribute to an extent. Uh, you know, if I had to guess, and I've seen, like you, I've seen a lot of concerts for places, and I agree completely with your assessment, right? I mean, Alpine sounds better than, than Tinley Park does as, as a venue. It's probably because of the way that they were built. Um, and, uh, you, know, the, the, you know, I do think, I mean, there's a lot of concrete at that Tinley Park venue. Plus, the incline is a little flatter at, at in Tinley than it is in East Troy. You've got a steep yeah. hill in, in Alpine. Yeah, and even and exactly and to your point, even the even the pavilion is is somewhat steep, right? Whereas the pavilion is not. I mean, the pavilion at, at Tinley Park, I mean, it's still a solid concrete floor. And then yes, some of the seats are are you know elevated a little bit, but they're not elevated because the ground is sloping up the way it is in Alpine. And I do think that that I do think that that makes uh, that that makes a difference. Yeah, I remember going to see the Stones at Alpine in '89, and and uh, you know I just uh, yeah I couldn't believe how good they sounded. Um, I mean, it was you know it was a big you know that that tour was a big band with lots of people in it, um, and it was just uh, I mean it was just tremendously good sounding for you know for a relatively big place. What about big stadiums like Soldier Field that have fifty thousand plus? And there's these big football stadiums. Yeah, those are those are those are just a challenge, right? I mean, you know, and and the, you know, there's the challenge of the sound, uh, you know, in you know, in you know, it's a bowl, right? And they all are. So there's kind of the challenge of the sound of the bowl, and then just you're almost guaranteed to be far enough away from the speaker stacks that you're going to get some weird interaction, you know, with the sound waves and uh, um, and uh, you know the environment. Um, I, you know, I, I, you know, I've been to a few concerts at Soldier Field. I typically will avoid that kind of a venue like the Plague, um, uh, just because I would weigh and and you know to this exact point, I would way, way, way. If I'm going to go see a big band, right, a super famous band that's going to play someplace big, my first choice would be United Center for sure. Um, sound quality is better overall. Uh, and you know it's a little smaller, so the sidelines are a little better. But it, it just the sound quality is much better. Um, second would be one of the bigger outdoor venues, uh, and then the last place would be uh, a football stadium. I mean, a football stadium concert is, you know, I just I wanted to see the band, and so I saw the band, but I don't expect it to sound good. Well, what about <laughs> baseball stadiums like Wrigley? Yeah, Wrigley's Wrigley's not great either. When I went, we went to see. Last summer we went to see the Hell Omega tour there. So, you know, Weezer, Fallout Boy, Green Day. Um, and here we are, great time. Uh, but uh, the sound quality I did not think was very good. I don't, uh, you know, I, I've not been to a lot of shows. Have you been to a lot of shows at Wrigley? I have not. I have not been at a show at Wrigley Field. I have not. So, yeah. So I, that, it was the, that, that was the only one I had been to, a concert that I had been to. And I was not impressed with the way it sounded at all. I would not. Uh, you know, I would not rush back, uh, you know, to go to a, to go to a concert there again, if I could, you know, there, I, you know, I always hope, uh, I, you know, as much fun as summer outdoor summer concerts are, and they're fun, right? So, I mean, you know, sound is only one consideration, but, um, uh, you know, like I'm glad I am made playing at the United Center in the fall mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, it'll just be, it, it, as opposed to having to go see like a couple years ago, they played at Finley, right? Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to 
to seeing them indoors where I am confident the sound will be somewhat better. When you think of the acoustics, you know, I, I was just at Creatures Fest in Nashville. Was that our no, it was in a ballroom in a hotel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that in itself right there, the sound yeah. is going to be a challenge. Yeah. How much can a good sound man compensate for a bad room? Yeah. You know, that's a great, great question. So they can potentially compensate a decent amount, right? Because the other thing that we, that is completely independent of all of the things that we've just talked about, of course, you know, the room acoustics, the quality of the PA is how good a job the sound person does mixing. You know, and what are and you know what exactly are they mixing for? Um, you know, there and where are they in the in the hall such that they can even tell what the sound is going to be like? You know, they're, they're, they're the uh, one of our you know one of yours and my personal favorite uh, little venues, the Art Good Old Arcada out in St. Charles, right? So the board there, I mean, you've seen it a million times, right? It's in the middle. It's on the main floor in the middle toward the back. Um, toward the, you know the mid, right dead center, but then toward the back. Um, if a if a sound person is in that is mixing in the arcada and they're paying attention, they should be able to really do a lot to make the sound good. Um, and, I, and I do think generally the shows I've seen there, I thought the sound was good. Um, uh, there have been a few times I've had my I've you know I've scratched my head and I think that that's been because they the person wasn't you know they weren't doing as good a job mixing as they could have. But this, at, at that point. If the sound guy will take off headphones, right, listen to the sound of the band playing in the hall, um, they'll they'll do a good job. Now, a, a re, in my opinion, a really good sound person will not be satisfied purely with the sound during a sound check because what's the problem with sound during a sound check? There's nobody in the hall, mm-hmm. right? So it's going to sound really different when all the people file. So, you know, you do the best you can during sound check and basically you're just making sure, you know, all the instruments and mics are working. Um, but then, you know, to a certain extent, you've got to tweak it once the band starts playing in front of the audience. If you're really going to do a good job and get it and get it to sound as good as possible, because the sound is going to be fundamentally different with all the people in the room than it was when they were, make, you know, when they were doing the sound check and getting levels at that point. Going back to your personal, you know, system in your house, what in a room can have the biggest impact negatively on the sound? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the two biggest things would be, um, you know, a room that's, that's all hard surfaces, right. And, and, you know, sparsely, sparsely furnished and hard surfaces would be the sort of worst of all possible worlds. Um, and then just bad speakers. Right. I mean, and I, you know, I've seen God, the things that the things that I've seen that have just driven me crazy, you know, that, that so I worked, you know, the microphone and, and, and headphone company, Shure, S-H-U-R-E. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, my, the, my first job out of college, I worked for the first uh, seven years of my, of my working career was at Shure. Um, and, uh, and, you know, this is an audio company, right? Um, and so I expected the I expected the people that worked there to have to care about sound, um, and a bunch of them did. Uh, you know, there were you know I had a bunch of friends there that had you know that had far nicer than average stereos like I did. And, you know, cared about where the speakers were in the room. But then a couple times I would go over to, I'd 
go over to friends' house or you know work parties or whatever, and I would just see you know the most unbelievably ridiculous things, like the two stereo speakers literally right next to each other, <laughs> not spread out at all, no thought to placement, like literally like one speaker and the other speaker right next to each other, um, and and they weren't the worst speakers in the world. I mean, you know, they were worth. And so I, I, you know, I gave the guy a hard time. I said, Brian, you gotta, you gotta move these things, man. <laughs> and, you got, and then I discovered that they weren't even wired in phase. So I, you know, it was a really sort of a funny moment. But you know, the, just some basic, basic stuff in getting the speakers to be, you know, clear line of sight and 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 placed reasonably well. And then, you know, throw down a rug, and uh, and, and you can make a huge difference. Those to me are the two biggies. A hardwood floors versus rug? Rug. Yeah, rug. Throw a rug on that thing. Especially between the speakers, right? Throw a rug between the speakers and you. Um, and that may that actually can make a huge difference uh, in the way things sound. So every one of these that I do, I always like to give people if they can remember one or two things about the podcast. That's those are the two things I would say. Make sure you can see the speakers clearly and that they're not obstructed and they're, you know, you know. Facing you if you possibly can, and then yeah, and then you know don't don't use them in a room with a lot of hard surfaces, or if you are, you know, try to do something about it. And and ceiling height in your basement is usually what eight feet. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah, basements eight. are basements are not perfect for that. But what if you have like a big room, you know, with the staircase and the high ceiling? Is that better for your your better. your speakers and your stereo? Typically, yes. Typically, the bigger, typically the bigger, the better. And having speakers away from sidewalls is a big deal. So, what about now with technology and people wanting to outfit their home with speakers in almost every room, in the corners, you know, and playing their iPod, hooking their iPod up to their their phone in their kitchen, and then playing music yeah. throughout the house? How does that? How do you factor in that? Yeah, you know, this to me, this to me is this whole concept of like sonic wall. <laughs> right. Um, you know, if look, if all you really want is music for background listening, then who cares about any of this to a certain extent, right? You know, in wall speakers, ceiling speakers, you know, little, you know, little, what are they, uh, uh, Bluetooth speakers parked somewhere. You know, if you get halfway decent sound from any of that stuff, you got luck. Um, and so, you know, there, I, I don't, I think when you're, when, if that's the, if that's a sort of thrust of what you're after and look, everybody's got, we know what they want out of life. So that's fine. Um, you know, you should maximize convenience factor in that kind of thing versus trying to do much in the way of, of getting good sound because you're up against every possible obstacle, um, in, uh, in those kinds of situations for sure. The ceiling speakers are worse than wall. Uh, but in-wall speakers are notoriously challenging, right? I mean, you got these, you know, you, you've got, um, you got all kinds of problems behind the wall. Uh, it's just not, it's not a great, it's not a great way to go. People do that because oddly enough, some people are offended by the physical presence of a speaker in their room. Now, I mean, you're talking to a guy that can't possibly imagine anyone feeling that way. Obviously. Have you encountered these people? <laughs> How, how can you be offended by seeing a a beautiful speaker, a wood 
outfitted speaker with, I mean, how do you, that, that to me is a piece of furniture. It's beautiful. Amen. I mean, I feel the exact same way, of course. I, you know, I mean, I think, you know, and some speakers I truly believe are works of art. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, I just, I think it's, I think for some people, it's how they grew up, right? I mean, you know, when we were growing up, every kid wanted to have a good stereo and, and having speakers was just part and parcel to that. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I've never, I've never understood that. I, you know, there's also, you know, people, there were there were people that didn't ever want to see a television. Uh, oddly enough, with the whole with the advent of the on wall TV, that whole dynamic seems to have gone away to an extent. Um, but uh, um, but it was certainly a thing. People were going to great lengths to hide TVs for a long time, which I also never really understood. When you talk about because you mentioned this earlier in the conversation about concrete at a venue here outside of Chicago. And when you are in a venue, there's wood, there's concrete. If you see a lot of wood um, in a venue, typically is that going to be a better sounding venue than something with, with walls of concrete? Yeah, my first reaction would be, you know, if I walked in and I saw a lot of wood and not a lot of concrete, I would be enthusiastic about that, yes. Now, you know, there's a lot of factors, of course, in all of these things, so it's no, there's no guarantees, but... But yeah, I mean, you know, concrete is is, is so I mean, it's the most reflective thing you can imagine, right? And I mean, you can just create these hideous standing waves um, in a in a you know in a concrete box, um, which unfortunately some venues really essentially are a concrete block, a concrete box. Um, so I would always I would always rather see wood. Now, of course, what I'd really you know what you really want to see is a venue with a bunch of mixed kind of surfaces and it's, you know, it's not just literally a box, right. You know, walls that are uh, staggered around and, and, and you know, not parallel because parallel walls create the worst reflections. Um, something that's essentially impossible in a domestic setting, but in a concert hall, for sure. I mean, you, there again, go, you know, look at the, uh, the next time you're in there, look at the auditorium theater, you know, those walls aren't parallel. And, you know, I guarantee you that was done by design. Hmm. What about places like the Riviera or the Aragon in Chicago? Yeah, the, you know, at least, well, the Riv is an interesting one. You know, there, um, I do, I, I think there's spots in the Riviera that you can get pretty decent sound. Um, you know, it was, the Riviera was a theater, right? So, I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was, there was some thought there, and an old theater. So there was some thought that went into, that went into that. Um, you know, the last time I was at the Aragon, you know, I just, I, we did move around and, and we did end up, cause it's always GA here. Right? So, and, and we did end up finding a place where I thought the sound was better. Um, uh, you know, but I've never been in the Aragon and thought to myself that that was a good sounding venue. Unfortunately, I, I don't think of it as being a good sounding venue. And I, you know, I think the, I think the gigantic open flat floor is probably part of the problem. Um, but it's a pretty venue, um, but I don't think it's uh, and a classic, of course, but I don't think it's particularly great sounding. A lot of local towns have these remodeled theaters, you know, they've, you know, whether it's the Genesee that we talked about in Waukegan, Illinois, there's the Rock House that's in East Dundee, uh, the Displains Theater that used to be a movie theater in my hometown, Displains. You know, there's a, there's a, at least here in Chicago, there are, and I think pretty much throughout the States, 
you know, there are venues and towns that used to be these old dollar theaters that they've, you know, turned into concert venues. Some of them sound really good. You know, some yeah. of them sound, sound amazing. Um, what are some of the challenges that are faced with those, you know, transition type of, of venues? Well, I think to your point, a lot of those venues, when they were built as theaters, th- there was some attention paid to what they were going to sound like, right? I mean, it, it, you know, their, you know, movie theaters was such a big deal back then, you know, and, and, and they, they were, you know, a lot of them were constructed, they were constructed really well and they were constructed understanding that they were going to, you know, that they were going to need to sound good. Um, you know, they're, well, most people don't really think about this, you know, movie theater sound has always been kind of a big deal and it's still to a certain extent, it's a big deal. Um, uh, it's done more these days through the speaker systems and the way the speaker systems are installed than the actual venue itself. Um, but you know, back then there was, you know, their the venue, the actual venue was a, you know, was a big part of that. So, um, you know, I, can't immediately think of one of those theater, true theater style venues, as opposed to a ballroom, which is a totally different deal, right? Um, a, uh, and in any of those true theater style uh, venues that I've been in that I thought sounded just flat bad. Um, and most of them, I actually think sound quite good. And I think it's because they were originally built uh, with, that in, uh, with that in mind. Even some of the, you know, even some of the ones that were not you know, that were not originally movie theaters, but that were theater theaters, live theater theaters like Chicago Theater, which I think they do. I think they do mostly concerts now. Um, they certainly do lots of concerts. I, you know, this just sounds, it was built to sound good and it sounds good <laughs> because they were, people cared when they built it. I think of the House of Blues in Chicago, and I don't know how other House of Blues are designed, but I think of the stage and I think of that general admission area and I think of the the high ceiling because it's got different levels, and then you have that area behind the soundboard that here's this, that overhang. And yeah. how if you just step right in front of that overhang, your listening experience is vastly different than sitting underneath it. It's incredible because yep. it's not, almost like that sound doesn't filter in all the way, or it gets trapped. You know, things aren't bouncing off things correctly. It's 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 amazing how just moving two feet forward can change the experience. Yeah. And, and, and that's a, you know, that one is definitely a good example. I mean, you're, you know, you are, you are in addition to just being farther back in the room in that area, like you were talking about, you know, that you, you're, you are blocking uh, your ears, if you will, line of sight to some of the PA. Um, and so, you know, that, that has its biggest impact in the higher frequencies. Right. So you do get a, you do get a, you know, a, a bit of a, a bit of a bassier sound back there than you would, uh, than you would up, obviously much closer up. Yeah. Which is again, perfect example of, of, you know, move around till it sounds good to you if you're in a venue where that's an option. As far as loudspeakers go, you know, I mean, we talked about the subwoofer, but loudspeakers, you know, when should you engage with that in terms of your personal system? Yeah, I mean, do you mean in terms of in terms of when you're putting one together? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, it's the first thing, and not everybody is completely you know, completely bought into that concept. But I think the people that aren't are the really are the really lunatic fringe audiophiles. <laughs> I mean, for me, it, you know, you 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 pet, you spend the most money on and you buy the speakers first, 
And then you can build the rest of the stereo around it over time. Um, but, uh, you know, there are the speakers, uh, you know, barring some just crazy mismatch between speaker and amplifier, the speakers are the thing that are going to have the most impact on the sound by far. The two things that will impact the sound that you hear as a listener, when you're listening to music in your home, by far, are the speakers and the room, like we've been talking about. Everything else uh, is down the line in terms of the impact that will have on the sound versus those two things. So amplifier, uh, you know, the, the, the certainly the difference in CD players, the, you know, but and then even the difference in turntables, which is much more pronounced than probably uh, any other uh, non-speaker component. If you're a if you're a, a vinyl listener, um, uh, it, it still is not on the level of the difference that a speaker will make. So I always tell people start with start with a speaker, get one you like, listen a lot in the you know in in stores if you can. Um, which there are still plenty of places that you can do that. Um, or if you happen to hear you know, a speaker that you love at a friend's house or whatever, and then, you know, either immediately or over time, build the stereo around that. And that, I mean, by, and by the way, I've made up practice when I preach. That's what I did. Nothing uh, in, you know, I haven't changed my speakers in over 20 years, and I made a big investment in my speakers. None of the rest of my stereo has stayed the same in that time period. I've changed everything since then. Um, but the uh, but the speakers are you know that's that that was that was the anchor for me and always will be. Any final thoughts as we wrap up? You know, I uh, I, I I think we've covered a lot of ground. I, you know, I I, I hope that uh, again, I hope that people will just think about the fact that uh, uh, you know when you're buying concert tickets, think a little bit about what you want out of the experience. You know, are you are you going? Are you going because you want to hear the music played? Are you going because you want to see the performers or some combination therein? And don't just reflexively buy the closest to the stage tickets that you can, depending on what the band is. And then, you know, free free your speakers from their from their encumbrances in your house. <laughs> well, Rob, as always, I've enjoyed the conversation. Uh, always informative, always full of knowledge. Thanks again for for hopping on and and talking about this stuff. Absolutely a pleasure as always, Jay. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to the next one too. You can follow Rob at Skylab Tapes on Twitter. Great, uh, great follow. It's always posting different types of music from progressive to rock and everything in between. Uh, great knowledge on audio systems and audio in general. So if you ever have a question, you can shoot him a DM if you're following him and he's following you. Uh, I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, and uh, hope you enjoyed the conversation. Stay strong, stay healthy. We'll, t- we'll talk soon. Thanks.